1: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of The Herald-Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to talk about the issue of homelessness. We have uh, three guests joining us here during the first half of the program. We expect a a fourth guest to join us in the second half. Uh, Forrest Gilmore is here in the studio. He's the uh, director of the Shalom Community Center here in Bloomington. Uh, Jim Riley is board president of the New Hope Family Shelter, which will be opening soon. He's also involved with Genesis Shelter in Richmond, Indiana. And Lori Demick is here. Uh, Lori is homeless program manager at the Indiana Housing and Community Development Authority. And I've uh, apparently already messed up Jim's background. Not involved. Genesis
2: here in Bloomington. Oh, okay.
1: I've got bad information here. All right. Uh, If you want to join us on the program, please phone us at 855-0811, 877-285-9348. And wfiu.org slash noon edition is our web address. So thanks for being here, Lori. Thanks for joining us on, on the phone. Thank you. All right. Um, Well, let's just sort of start with, I want to start with Forrest, because you're fairly new in your position. Sure. Yeah. With uh, Shalom. Uh, You've made a move from downtown at the church to uh, South Walnut Street. Tell us, uh, first of all, I guess, tell us a little bit about the Shalom Center and what what your mission is, and then uh, talk a little bit about the move.
3: Sure, sure. Um, Shalom Community Center is um, a daytime resource center for people experiencing homelessness and poverty. Our mission is to uh, alleviate the plight of people experiencing homelessness and poverty in our area. Um, and we do that in a, in a comprehensive way. So everything from the basics uh, of, of living, uh, food, shelter, things that we normally take for granted, laundry, uh, showers, uh, phones, mail, that kind of thing. And then we also uh, look towards more... Um, uh, support and helping people get out of poverty with our programs as well. That's where our caseworkers enter in. Our homelessness prevention program enters in. Our legal clinic and our employment program. Mm-hmm. All right, and uh, Jim, I want to
1: turn to you about the New Hope Shel- New Hope Family Shelter. What's the what's the, the
2: status of that, and, and what's the need for it? We haven't had a family shelter in Bloomington, Monroe County, for several years now, and. Um, HUD makes the city do an assessment periodically about the need for serving low-income groups, and that assessment shows uh, the need for a family shelter. But places like Shalom and Middleway House and other entry points into the search for resources and help uh, also show that we need a family shelter. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to respond to that. Starting small, we'll uh, initially accommodate three families at the site lent to us by Bloomington Hospital. And then we'll add, uh, as soon as we can, four additional sites, so we'll serve seven families. Uh, not entirely sure how many we're going to need to serve at a time. Mm-hmm. We, we'll know that after we're in the, in the business. Uh, we've been getting an average of three calls uh-huh. a week from families seeking shelter. Uh-huh. Don't know. Some of them are from caseworkers. Some of them are the, from, mm-hmm. from the families themselves. So we don't really have good. Evidence even yet.
0: Mm-hmm. Am I right to understand that there are rules um, at other shelters about men and women um, being under shelter together? So that that's why the need for the family shelter to keep the family unit intact in a homeless um, situation.
2: Right. A mom with children can go to Agape House, and if she's a victim of domestic abuse, can go to Middleway House. Um, a dad with children has no place to go in Monroe County. And a mom and dad together with children also um, have no place to go hmm. right now. Sometimes Wellspring in Martinsville will take a family, um, but that's rare. They only have nine units for emergency shelter uh, in the Martinsville facility. Mm-hmm. All right. We're, uh,
1: I want to uh, ask Lori Dimmick to join the conversation and, and sort of take a step back and take a little bit of a macro look. Uh, the Indiana Housing and Community Development Authority – Recently released uh, findings from a study on homelessness. That was the point-in-time count, correct, Lori? That is correct. So what did you find?
4: Well, what we found, well, first off, just to step back a little bit um, so you understand um, why we come about the point-in-time and what's the purpose and, you know, other than the obvious purpose, uh, to try to get a count on the sheltered and unsheltered homeless. But just to let you know, we, we utilize a HUD-defined um, definition of homelessness, which is a person who lacks a fixed and regular, adequate nighttime residence um, who either resides in an emergency homeless shelter or transitional housing and basically has no funding of any source to get their own housing. And also for those who live on the street, maybe in parks, maybe in, um, you know, cars and, bill- you know, it matters in what city, but under um, bridges and things of that nature. So we use the HUD-defined homeless definition um, when we do this point in time. Um, in other words, we don't utilize, um, we don't count those who are maybe living at grandma's for one day and then the next day they're living at their best friend's and maybe a week later they're living with somebody else, like couch surfing. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. And the point in time, it is mandated by HUD to do a point in time at least every two years. And anybody who, like at a state agency or any um, who, a local government who receives these fundings are required to perform this point in time, and we are required every two years. But the state of Indiana has chosen to um, to do a count every year. And we have since since we took over this grant, and it's going on like three or four years now. So
1: so what, what did uh, – you found over 6,000 individuals in – in Indiana, is that correct?
4: Yes, statewide count, oh, yes. Okay. When we accumulated all the, the counts together, it was uh, over 6,000. And
1: is there, is there a uh, sort of a, a core group that would be in, I mean, various communities are are uh, where homelessness is more prevalent than in others?
4: Well, I think that you do find that there's more prevalence in larger cities like Indianapolis, maybe Fort Wayne and Evansville. That is true. We do find homelessness in almost every major city. Um, And um, when we do a statewide count, Indianapolis does their own count. Um, South Bend, the St. Joseph area up north does their own count. And then the rest of the state, which we are ahead of that point in time, does this count. And then we combine all of them together, and that's where we get that over that 6,000 number for a number of persons. And so we had over 4,000 in households.
1: Is it Indiana's number similar to other states in a, in a per
4: capita sense? In a per capita sense, yes. Mm-hmm. However, you know, Indiana is very rural. So um, it's much more difficult, and it, it's very hard to compare us to people like New York or uh, California or any of those major cities in California or any of those major cities in bigger, bigger states. You know, we're more comparative maybe to Ohio or, or things of that nature.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there any federal funding attached to the point-in-time survey results?
4: No. We we don't uh, well yes in a sense of we don't get funding to do the point time no however there is funding uh, attached to it meaning that when I say that we have we're mandated by HUD when we apply for an application to HUD and we call it our McKinney Vento money one of the requirements in order to apply for this money is you do have to do the point time
0: Mm -hmm, right so it's then the the money that comes back into the state from HUD is uh, based on those numbers.
4: Yes. And then what yes. is that
0: money used for?
4: That money is used for a number of things. Um, it is used mainly to help um, bring in more permanent supportive housing and permanent housing to the state so that we can permanently house people, not just temporary house them. Um, we do utilize that McKinney-Vento money also to... Um, um, keep the funding cycle going for transitional housing programs and uh, supportive services programs and also permanent housing programs that have already existed. And it keeps those projects running so that we can house those people who are currently out there and, and continue giving services to them.
0: What kind of public housing are we talking about?
4: Well, it's not public housing. We call it permanent supportive housing. Um, Permanent supportive housing is a type of housing, of course, it's permanent. In other words, they hold a lease. It's not a group home. It's not a residential facility. It's actually an apartment or a unit that they actually hold the lease on, and they actually live in. It's either for singles or families. And, um, and many times the supportive services, because we've noticed through the point in time, and he did ask me a question earlier about, you know, where, what did you have the results on? Well, we've noticed like 28% of the, of the point in time, many of the people suffer with chronic addiction, and 14% mm-hmm. suffer with severe mental illness. Mm-hmm. And 10% are chronically homeless. Mm -hmm. So these situations are, you know, they're under a a situation of the reason why they can't keep their housing. Many times these these addictions and this mental illness get in the way. right? And they're not provided services. So the permanent housing, we provide services on top of providing that permanent housing.
0: Okay, so that's the difference between permanent housing, what you're calling permanent housing, and the old concept of public housing. Is that right? Is that presence of ongoing Mm -hmm. services? Well, you're kind of right, because a lot of people think of public housing like Section 8. Right.
4: And and Section 8 is is great, and it does hold a purpose. However, it's not available hardly anymore because it's so full. There's no more money. And Section 8 does not provide services. It is purely just low-income housing. But it does not provide services to people who seem to roll in and roll out of homelessness on a continuous basis. Mm -hmm. And those are usually people with, like, chronic addiction, severe mental illness, and things of that nature. Mm
5: -hmm.
1: I, I was struck by the fact that sixteen uh, percent of those counted were women who were fleeing domestic violence that was yeah. something that i wasn't really aware of mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah all right uh, our numbers eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight and w f i u dot org slash noon edition is the web address um for us, the the Shalom Center provides all these services i mean your your mission um if i can uh, if i remember correctly or, sure. I mean you, you don't want you, you want to be able to serve people and help them find a job help them get into some permanent housing situation
3: correct? yeah so. at a, to aid and empower that's our you know from emergencies to empowerment is our, our mission so we start where you know this when people are placed in a position of, of emergency where they're they're uh, homeless or in significant financial hardship and just lacking in resources and so we try to bring them in, stabilize them as best we can, and then and then help offer them the services that can help them improve their situation that can be employment that can be legal assistance that can be um, support with uh, disabilities and getting benefits appropriate to to your disability uh, substance abuse assistance um, health care assistance on and on so It really depends on the client. Every client is different, and uh, we try and meet them where they are. Mm
0: -hmm. Where do your resources come from to help them uh, build their resources?
3: Absolutely. Uh, One of the things that I love about working at Shalom is that uh, we're so widely supported by our community. Over uh, 75% of our financial support comes from individual donors, you and me. You know, uh, pulling out a checkbook and and supporting uh, us. The remainder of our support comes from uh, mostly the next major percentage is from churches. And then, on down, nonprofits uh, grants uh, government and and uh, and, and uh, foundational grants is where our fi- all our support comes from so it 's 12-19. What would be going on at the Shalom Center right now right now there 's about uh, probably about two hundred or to three hundred people eating and enjoying lunch uh, right now. we serve about uh, uh, we serve about 200 lunches every day, so this is probably one of the busier times of day when everybody uh, co- comes in and out through between 12 and 1.30. And um, and as well, our caseworkers are uh, actively working with uh, many of our clients to uh, provide assistance. Some people may be needing help to getting to a job, so they might be getting bus tickets right now, or some people might be sitting down getting a housing referral. Some people might be uh, getting some help uh, looking for um, uh, looking for a job. And uh, in just a, just about 30 minutes, a bunch of f- folks can come into our legal clinic at Trinity Episcopal Church and get some assistance with uh, a landlord that's giving them some trouble or or uh, family law issues if they're, having, mm-hmm. if they're having trouble with custody of their children. You know, mm-hmm. a variety of different services that they can get mm-hmm. uh, right now.
0: Now, what's your policy for people who come to Shalom and they have... Um, Uh, They're either possibly using drugs or or you smell alcohol on them. Are they they allowed to access services under those circumstances, or how do you handle that?
3: It is an incredibly challenging situation, and um, our general policy is that if... um uh... is is that if people are uh... intoxicated in some way um, i mean f- it first comes down to respect you know is a person able to be safe in the environment and so that's our first value is is this a safe environment are the people in our in in our space creating a safe environment mm-hmm. um... W- when people are, in, are uh, intoxicated generally speaking we ask them to come back another day mm-hmm. um, it, Unless we consider it a threat to their safety, mm-hmm. and they are able to maintain an environment of respect in in the in the center, um, and so right now, of course, the temperatures are very high. So if someone's in that position, we may help them get some water. We get dehydration is a huge issue for people with substance abuse, mm-hmm. um, and um, and generally speaking, again, depending on the situation, but we'll we'll generally send them out unless they. Um, unless we consider them a threat to themselves in terms of harm. And in that case, we often um, look to uh, the hospital to, to help out.
1: Eight five five zero eight one one is the Bloomington phone number, Eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. From outside of the Bloomington area, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition is our web address. Forrest, I wanted to mention um, the Shalom Community Center is actually your formal name, correct? That's it, yep. And I wanted to uh, ask about that word community. Sure. Um, the, uh, it's my impression that a lot of the people that come there it's the only community they may have, they may
3: have sure, yeah, I mean uh, first and foremost, we try to be a safe place, so it's a place that people can come and uh, and get out of um, the, the weather it's uh, get out of the the cold, the heat, the rain, the snow um, and and to uh, be a safe place, but of course um, some of our clients uh, some of our clients get out of homelessness or their situations very quickly. Um, uh some don 't and uh those folks who are there who for longer periods of time definitely build bonds with each other um, and become comrades you know so to speak, and mm-hmm. friends on the street and uh it 's you know if you 're homeless there's there's uh, it's there are definitely places that allow you to be, but you never know on a given moment whether you 're going to be sent out um, and so we 're a place that uh, again as long as you 're respectful as long as you 're uh kind to your fellow uh folks there you can be among us
0: do you mind telling us a little bit more about your new facility um, to be able to accommodate you said around 200 people for lunch that that would um, indicate um some pretty good square footage could you just kind of give us an idea mm-hmm. of your square footage and and what kind of amenities you have i know i know you sure. mentioned laundry
3: sure yeah the community really rallied to to help create this space and uh so we're so grateful to so many people who, who made it possible what we do um, we're about 6,600 square feet, which is uh, smaller than we'd hoped. Uh, we'd, we'd hoped for eight to 11,000. So we're, we're smaller than we intended, but still doing really well in the space that we've got. Of course, we've got our, our dining hall, and, uh, which can seat uh, about uh, 70 to 80 people at a given moment. Um, and we have our outside space where people can continue to eat also. We have... Um, our, our caseworker uh, side of things—we've got we've got uh, four laundry machines right now, two showers, um, two bathrooms. These are big things for us. In our old space, we had one bathroom and one shower, and oh, so wow. these are these are huge improvements for us. Two two laundry machines, so that we're very excited about that. And we also have this new program now we've got a respite room so if people you know if you're homeless you get you get pneumonia mm-hmm. you get released from the hospital um, and you have nowhere to go where do you go to sleep during the day you can come to Shalom and so we've got that space now in our upstairs uh, in our upstairs uh, rooms and um, we also have a special dining room just for families uh, that to, to help them uh, have a have uh, an even safer space to be, and um, which is really essential to us that 's uh, protecting our children, protecting our families is so important to shalom and mm-hmm. so so we, we, and we 've known that since the beginning we 've always created a special place for families in in, in the center to keep them
1: well or safe that 's a good segue back to Jim because jim riley 's trying to create a uh, or is creating a family shelter and um, I, I just wonder you know how did you get involved with this jim and and, and how do you go about starting from scratch with a, with a, putting a shelter to you? You have to be stupid and naive.
5: (laughs) (laughs) And very
2: brave, Jim. Don't don't be bashful. Um, (laughs) May I respond to what Forrest just uh, said? We're going to be located near Shalom, and Shalom is going to play a central role in the things that we do. We'll have a case manager. We'll have staff on hand 24-7, but we can't supply all the services that Shalom supplies. Uh, We can't supply meals. There'll be a kitchen. People can cook for themselves, but... We, we expect them to go to VIM for health care needs, to Shalom for the variety of services that Forrest has described.
0: Community kitchen for meals, I imagine. Certainly community mm-hmm.
2: kitchen. Um, close now, not quite as close, but we'll have bus passes too, so mm-hmm. people will be able to get down to a couple blocks further South Rogers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what motivated you to to do this? It's just recognizing a community need. That a year ago there was a task force that Tom Capshew organized, Mm -hmm. and um, uh, an emergency. What was it called? Uh, A summit, Mm a a homelessness summit. And it was uh, evident at that gathering that we somebody needed to work on um, a permanent day shelter for adults and a separate family shelter. These were two needs in the community. day shelter for adults is covered by the Interfaith Winter Shelter for five months and then the Genesis, Genesis House Shelter for the other seven months of the year, and that left the big cap of, uh, of a family shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started working on that, and other people joined in. It's a community effort. We can only succeed when the community steps up. We're in the same position Shalom is in.
0: Lori, is your department in any position to be of assistance to either of these important locally based projects?
4: Well, a matter of fact, um, I was. Um, we have this thing we call the Indiana Supportive Permanent Supportive Housing Initiative, and it is, and I call it a thing, but it's a, it's a process, and it's also it has helped us really well in trying to combat homelessness because that is the whole idea here at HCDA, is to end homelessness. So that's one of our strategic plans, and in order to get this plan working and actually decreasing homelessness, we realized that we needed to have this initiative. And uh, with the support of Lieutenant Governor and the support of these agencies, we've been able to partner for the past three years with the Indiana Permanent Supportive Housing Initiative. And they have this thing they do every year, and it's called the Institute. And it's a training, and it's basically helping build uh, permanent housing in the areas of the need. And and, and matter of fact, this coming June, in about a week and a half or so, we are having a team from Bloomington. And they and you, the forest and Jim on the line may recognize some of the people who would be coming to the institute. And they're looking to build some maybe permanent housing to help homeless um, veterans and also the chronic homeless. Because in Morgan County alone, I was looking at the number of chronically homeless, um, and it's at forty-two. And that's mm-hmm. that's great. That's pretty high for such a small town like Bloomington.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, Mor- and,
4: Morgan
1: and, is actually Martinsville. So, oh
4: yeah, yeah, this w- is Monroe.
3: I'm Monroe. <laughs> the numbers
1: are right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay, Forty-two.
4: Good. Forty-two uh-huh. in Monroe. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. And then a number of veterans on this count was fifteen. Now, mind you, this is one day of having a count. So, and this Bloomington team would be um, Indiana University Health um, Center Stone, the Bloomington VA, which is a service provider there, the Genesis Church and a developer called Options for Better Living. Mm
6: -hmm.
4: And so we're looking at this team and seeing what we can produce down there and, and trying to house some of these chronic homeless and some of these veterans. And we did have also A year ago, and we got awarded in 2010 on a project in Bloomington, it was focused on homeless persons who had HIV and AIDS, but we got that project started, um, and I think it's up and running. It's through Bloomington Hospital Bloomington Positive Link. So we are very aware of the need in Bloomington, and that's one reason why this institute team is starting in about one and a half weeks or so.
0: Laura, you said uh, what? One of your goals, or one of your main goals, is is ending homelessness. Is is that really realistic to talk about ending homelessness? And if so, well, what's your timeline? Well,
4: mm-hmm. well, you know, ending homelessness. At first, when we look at this, HUD's goal is in chronic homelessness, which is the chronic homeless population. Is let me give you the definition. It's usually somebody who's been consistently homeless for a year. And I'm sure both of you gentlemen on the phone could think of someone or some persons you've known or somebody who's gone through episodes illnesses in a three episodes within a four year period. Mm. And majority of these people who go through these Instances usually not cause all these economic issues. It usually goes right back to those disabilities the substance abuse, like, uh, like Forrest had mentioned, a lot of substance abuse or some mental illness. And we do hope to decrease that population, um, and we hope to build at least, um, currently, we are looking at building at least four, 1,400 units of part of housing um, to address this population by the year 2013. Right now we have nine hundred units in the pipeline. basically we 're working on them they're under development, and this is throughout the whole state, not just in Bloomington area, of course, but they are in the pipeline and working, and right now we have funded over four hundred. So we are on a path of bringing in more permanent housing so these people so these people don't cycle through the, uh, through the, the programs like alone, and they don't cycle through the local hospitals and the local jails and the local prisons, because they seem to cycle in, cycle out, cycle in, and then they're right back four years later, you see them on the streets again. That is the population we hope to be able to end. And and, and the, the other population, the homeless population where there's not a disability, but there's economic issues, and there's um, hardships. Families live in paycheck to paycheck, and one or two or three missed paychecks. Next thing you know, they've lost their rental apartment, or they've mm-hmm. lost their mobile home. Sure. That That population is being addressed. It started back in 2009 with the, the HPRP, it's called Homeless Prevention Rapid Rehousing, um, stimulus package that was signed in by the president. And we started that back in 2009, and that has helped decrease the family homelessness as, as a whole, Um it has decreased 1%. Now, that doesn't sound a lot from last year, but from 2007, we had a huge increase, uh, I mean, a decrease by, I think, what was that percentage?
3: I think it was was, 16, something like that. Yeah,
4: it was something like that, yes. So it does help. In the HPRP program, we were able, just in Bloomington area, we were able to help 88 households and 245 people. And statewide, and these, the statewide numbers from January, because we do these quarterly reports, and from January we helped with this HPRP, 200, 2,253 households, and we've helped 83% of those people that went into this program stayed permanently housed, which is great, because that population can stay in permanent housing if they just need support they just need that utility deposit or that rental deposit uh, whatever they need to just stay housed
6: mm-hmm.
1: all right i'm going to have to ask our, our caller glinda to be patient we'll get to her right after the break but we're going to have to take a short break now you're listening to noon edition we'll be right back welcome back to noon edition we're talking about homelessness today i'm bob zaltzberg along with mary catherine carmichael and our guests in the studio are forrest gilmore uh, director of the shalom center and jim riley board president of new hope family shelter joining us by phone is Lori demick homeless program manager at the indiana housing and community development authority if you uh, want to join the program, please phone us at 855-0811, 877-285-9348, and wfiu.org slash noon edition is our web address. We're also going to be joined in the second half of the program uh, by Matthew uh, Baggett, um, and he is um, going to be with us, and uh, I think I maybe mispronounced his last name. Is it Baguetta Bagetta. All right. And uh, he'll be joining us here in a few minutes as well. But let's get the phone first. Glenda is on the line. Glenda? Yes. Hi, Glenda. Go Hi, ahead. Hi, Glenda.
5: Hi. Thank you for talking about this very important problem in our community or need in our community. But could either uh, could any of the guests talk about the other homeless shelters in our community like Martha's House and others?
3: Uh, yeah, Forest. I think, yeah? Sure. It's actually, uh, we have a fairly um, uh, comprehensive approach to uh, homelessness in our community. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't quite meet the need, um, but uh, there are some excellent places. Uh, Martha's House is, is, uh, is just one example, and that's been um, uh, a, around for about 10 years and been doing uh, really good work. We also, of course, have Middleway House, uh, which uh, is uh, a place for uh, women uh, fleeing domestic violence. Uh, we have Bast- backstreet missions um, which uh, houses people to Christian mission that that, uh, that shelters people as well Stepping stones is transitional housing for for people aged 16 to 20 um, Agape house is uh, part of backstreet missions which is uh, is a shelter for women and children again a Christian mission um, and uh, so I, th- I think, did I cover it all, Jim? Did I miss anything? Well, the I Interfaith know. Winter Shelter. And oh, of the, course, the right. Thank you for pointing those out. Yeah, of course, the people who've really uh, rallied the last uh, two years, the Interfaith Winter Shelter and then the and the Genesis Summer Shelter. Yeah.
1: All right, Glenda?
5: Yes, thank uh, you. <clears throat> okay, thank you. I, I just want people to be aware that there's a whole range of options currently available, although, as the speaker said, it still doesn't help everyone who needs help. Yes, well,
1: thank you so much for calling. We appreciate it. All right, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and wfiu.org slash noon edition if you want to send us an email.
0: Uh, And here's one that came in. Um, This is for you, Jim. It says, how can the community help address the problem of growing numbers of homeless families in Monroe County? As opposed to finding homes for them, how how do we avoid the problem?
2: Uh, Well, I think... Case management is the principal solution that hasn't been tried effectively in the past. We've tried to do some case management for shelters, family shelters that existed in the past, but it wasn't intensive enough. It wasn't on a daily basis. It Mm -hmm. wasn't on hand in the shelter itself. Mm -hmm. We're going to try to up the ante then to provide this intensive level of Mm -hmm. case management. Um far talks about finding a job it's also important to find a better job to find a job that pays a little bit more that gives a few more hours worth of work that gives work with um, a schedule you can manage that lets you do child care um, taking advantage of PDO at the First Methodist Church or any of the, mm-hmm. the wonderful child care facilities we have in the community
3: um <laughs> I forgotten things. the question. I mean, Lori also mentioned that, you know the importance of homelessness prevention and and uh, pre- preventing people from becoming homeless through financial assistance, which is a is a program that was funded by the stimulus and has done some great work. And actually, the funding is declining in the in the upcoming years. And so yeah. uh, that's really something um, that we um, uh, that r- makes a huge difference. And then the permanent supportive housing can be uh, maybe not so much for families, but certainly can be a significant. Uh, need met
4: and to answer you know to go on top of what he was saying about the homeless prevention yeah he is right because the stimulus money when it came out it was it was made very clear by president this is a temporary program however seeing the need and seeing how um this type of program preventing people from homelessness preventing them to go to a shelter preventing shelter children to grow up in a shelter for even two or three months you know if we can prevent that that's the best option. So what uh, HUD has done is, is to try to address that from the get-go, and they've started this. They, it's called the HEARTH. It's a new policy. It hasn't come into effect yet, but it hopes to take over where HPRP left off and then what it's going to do when um, we have this other program, it's called the Mercy Solutions Grant, and it's basically a grant that helps subsidize and help fund shelters and transitional housing programs like you guys have in Bloomington. And we actually do support some of the shelters there with this funding. They hope to expand this fund. And actually have a part of it go to just homeless prevention and rapidly rehousing people, so it'll actually prevent people from going to the shelters and like you've saying, many times it isn't just it could be one or two things that basically puts them in a car for the next week or two. Because mm-hmm. they don't have family they they don't self couch surf, they have no support system in their community. they have the job, so it sticks them to their community, but then they don't have anything else so they're living in the car but actually still may have a job that may be paying poorly but there's, there's many kinds of this instances. This is where it, this uh, Mercy solutions grant, the HEARTH policy will really help out homeless prevention. And then another part of it is rapid rehousing, where we're trying to help pull these people out of shelter quicker. Instead of people staying in the shelter long-term times because, like you said, the economic structure right now is low unemployment, things of that nature, helping rapidly rehouse them so that they get back on their feet. And in a long way, it it is more uh, financially actually doable and makes more sense. And it also doesn't put all the strains of living in a shelter. It, it can be very stressful. No mm-hmm. matter how hard people make it, they're not in their own place.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: So that's right. the hope of it. And uh, I wish the HEARTH policy is starting yet, yeah, but it has not. We are still waiting for the, the guidance from HUD from that.
1: All right. Okay. Thanks a lot, Lori, for all that information. We have uh, a whole uh, line full. All of our lines are full. So let's go, let's go to Jennifer next. Jennifer?
5: I'm Hi there. Um, Hi. You know, in the past, even in Dickens Day, you had the workhouse, and, you know, as we come through, we've had tenements most recently, and it hasn't been much of a great, um, success. In that, basically, when people went into the clean, new, provided housing in the 60s, say, um, they just brought their problems with them, obviously, but it then became a safe haven for those drug corporations that, you know, enslaved the people and made them continue to be at the homeless level for the rest of their lives. So what I'd like to know is what do you think you are going to do to um, counter having this just be the same problem over? Um, I have an opinion that we need to, um, because of the recidivism problem, we need to be able to... um, at the same time as we house people uh, address these issues with doctors and other professionals that, that would be able to help the people since, as you mentioned, they do have more than just homelessness or joblessness problems. Mm-hmm. So, so what, what, what do you propose?
6: Jim?
2: We're not going to solve these problems uh, very quickly, but we can't forsake trying. Uh, there's no moral position you can stand in that lets you give up on these kinds of problems and on people who need help uh, so far as I can see um, I didn't... Do you have
6: a
5: plan? Do you have any kind of idea? Because of course it's a, a repeat of what's been going on for centuries and and um... well, How about you Jennifer? Do you have a plan? Do I have a plan? Yeah. Yes, I do. I propose a rehab center um, because many of the people are are in jail, and they're going into jail, and as you say, they you just keep seeing them, and it actually makes the uh, taxpayers pay endlessly, and then it makes them stay slavery almost for endlessly. And um, so we had, instead of a jail, if we had some of these people going, the people that keep going back in that are diagnosed, that are... Uh, needing serious help would be housed and, as part of their sentences even, be um, helped and be going to school. And, and then finally we'd see an end to it instead of an onward going.
4: I, I've yep. actually got a, a, a possible solution for her question. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, um, Lori. Um, of of housing, actually, that is what it's about. It is about that population. It is about trying to prevent them from reentering prison, reentering jail, reentering the hospital, going back to rehab and cycling, the cycling in and out of services that is costing you, me, and every taxpayer in the world so much money. Permanent supported housing does address that issue. And we do accept in these type of units um, people who have felonies. It is You know, because they have been in prison, like you said, and then they go right back to jail and go right back to prison. So, in these particular type of units, now, mind you, this isn't Section Eight; this is permanent supportive housing. We—that's not an issue. We it is to provide housing, and then on top of that, we provide supportive services. And what I mean by supportive services: mental health counseling, substance abuse counseling, AA Hmm. meetings, addressing the addiction, addressing the mental illness so that they don't wind up homeless again and going right back into those cycles of jail, prison, hospital, etc. Mm-hmm. And well, you
3: know, I think it's
5: important to go that way. Forrest,
1: i think he has thought about it. First, I know Shalom offers a lot of those services as
3: well. Yeah, I, what I want to just add is I, I I absolutely agree with you that um that uh the need for uh, substance abuse assistance is and is, is significant and um, but I, what I want to uh Emphasize too is that we we need uh, a, we need some a significant um, a political shift because uh, these programs we know how to do it uh, we just don't have enough money and uh, and I'm sure Laurie would agree with you I'm sure that Jim would agree with you I certainly would agree with that 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 um, we can I, I've seen the um, HUD take a real. Uh, strong stance in the last few years to um, mm-hmm. to end chronic homelessness mm-hmm. and uh, and um, I want to see that continue and expand and it 's going to take money it 's going to take a significant commitment on the part of our nation to to solve and our communities local maybe, communities to solve maybe this that,
5: maybe it isn 't the, the um, money of the nation so much as take the example of when <clears throat> we stand up even in the midst of what we 're in a supposed huge recession, and even in the midst of that we send lots of private money over to Haiti, things like that. I think the American people are really, pri- in a private sense, very generous. And I think if we just shifted our, our minds from thinking that money is going to somehow come from the government, which is, of course, funded by us and requires lots and lots of money for their salaries, that we start funding these things privately. Mm-hmm.
3: We have the highest gap between the rich and the poor uh, in the United States since the Great Depression uh, right now. And uh, to me, that says something about our nation. And I think we need to focus on that.
2: Let me me draw attention to another aspect of homelessness. Uh, IHCDA and Lori are talking about chronic homelessness, and that's a significant proportion of the people out there. But last summer, when I was volunteering at the Genesis shelter, Pastor David Woodcock at Genesis Church let me take the the data home and do a spreadsheet study, and the typical person staying at the Genesis shelter was only staying 11 days during the five months that they were open. Chronic homelessness was a small part of the problem Mm -hmm. for those folks, Mm -hmm. and temporary homelessness a very large part of the problem. Temporary homelessness is much easier to address Mm -hmm. than chronic homelessness because it comes with fewer mental health mm-hmm. substance mm-hmm. abuse uh, issues associated with it. it's an economic creation
1: mm-hmm. all right we have we've had uh, Matthew Baguetta from SPIA who's been uh, waiting very patiently he's <laughs> joining us he, he's specializes in civic engagement and has a lot of expertise in homelessness you've been here in the discussion Matthew can you do you want to uh, weigh in
6: uh well thanks for having me sure. uh, yeah this is a, it's been a fascinating conversation so far <laughs> um actually I, I found this um this last set of comments particularly interesting i think the, the sort of question um surrounding a lot of this is is how do we how do we get beyond um, the existing agencies and um private centers and nonprofits and things that are trying to deal with the problem of homelessness and how do we try to reach a little more broadly and get get more people get a broader community sort of focused on the problem and and focused on on trying to get solutions to it. Um, and um, and as someone who studies civic engagement, that's that's really the kind of big question that um, that I try to ask um, here at uh at the Public Affairs School. And um and and I think um Part of the part of the solution there is trying to give more opportunities for people who aren't already engaged with the problem, people who aren't already associated with these institutions, to um, to get a little more interaction with it, to um, to have the opportunity, perhaps to volunteer, um, to do some service provision, to interact with um, the the individuals who are currently providing services. Um, to learn a little bit more about the issue and, and maybe even getting sort of general community members involved in, in some of the decision making um, that, uh, that goes into these, um, these solutions um, can really sort of engage a broader community who then might do more to sort of change their minds about how they think about, um, about homelessness, maybe connect with their community a bit more, maybe get more involved with politics, um, to try and encourage greater greater amounts of funding or, or greater sort of political attention to this kind of issue.
1: Well, I, I think that's a great point, and I I see a lot of people who are involved in in community issues, and they they seem to just wear themselves out because they're the same people all the time. So, how do you engage a, a broader community? What are some strategies that you would suggest?
6: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a tough problem if we if we leave ourselves sort of. Um, relying on the, on the, that small, very committed, committed set of people who, who will spontaneously volunteer because they, they are already care a lot about a particular issue, um, it's, it tends to be a small set of individuals that we're dealing with. I think we actually need to, to try and create opportunities to reach out more and, and actively, directly invite more people to, to participate, um, to, to provide perhaps smaller, more focused opportunities for individuals to get involved in, in activities, perhaps those that are run by um, by places like the Shalom Center or, um, or the New Hope um, Shelter, um, or to actually reach beyond that to, to other kinds of organizations um, that people might participate in now. Um, maybe there's a way to try to connect to, I don't know, local um, sports leagues. Um, or um, or other other sort of community organizations that people are already participating in and volunteering in um, to try to connect to those groups and say, all right, could you could you get your members to you know to briefly you know do something related to homelessness to to spend one day um, you know volunteering for the shelter, helping out, um, serving those four hundred meals at lunchtime, um, or something like that. Um, and see if then you could directly ask those people you know, if they would like to get more involved, to just try and reach one more level out to some some folks that we might not necessarily think of as, as people who could help with the homeless problem.
5: Can uh, I
4: interject here? Because yeah, I, sure. I do have some suggestions also. We have this, um, we call these the uh, Regional Planning Councils of Homeless, and we have quite a few regions all over this state, and we, we have about 14. And we actually do encourage them to, and you're right, majority of them, they it, they have something invested. In. They're running a shelter or, the, you know, they're homeless themselves. You know, in the past they were homeless and now they want to help out. But, you know, I've also heard of regional planning councils where they have the local bank involved, they have the local hospital involved, they have the local IV Tech, uh, IU, uh, local schools involved in the regional planning council, they have the local employment agencies, actually employers involved in the regional planning councils. So they reach out to say, you know, you know, you may see the homeless on the street or in these shelters, but they do indirectly affect you sooner or later. And this is how you can help out. And some of them have actually stepped up and said, you know, you're right, we, we can help out with this possible solution. And they do bring something new to the table of how to address it. And then they also – it brings a little transparency of how we're, we're spending our money and how we're addressing it and how to be more strategic in how we spend our money. And not just, you know, going where we think it is, actually looking out, planning out, and say where do we need the, me- the money spent most at this area, this area, and who can get involved in the community other than just the most obvious.
1: All right. Thanks for uh, all the comments on that. We're going to have to go to a phone call. We've had Patty waiting uh, very patiently. Patty? Is Patty still there?
7: Hi. Um, yes, I was um, concerned about, um, uh, I'm a women's uh, author uh, about women's issues, and I'm concerned that the Middleway Way House does not have shelter for women that do not have children. So it seems like it discriminates against women that don't have shelter. And I had a friend that I knew from the Free South Africa Coalition, Ellen Marks, who was an IU student, who was a little down and out, and she ended up being murdered. And I wonder why uh, in this community we do not provide shelter for women who do not have children. That's my
0: question. Um, Patty, it was my understanding that part of the new Wings building um, that's in the former Coca-Cola building um, downtown, uh, part of that, the goal of that building was, in fact, to provide um, one-bedroom apartment-type facilities for single women or women without their children at that time. So, um, oh, they are going to do that? Uh, that was my understanding, and I think if you want to call Toby Strout at Middleway House, I'm sure they'd be able to address that for you, but pardon me, I do know that that was, in fact, recognized as an issue, and yes. it was their hope to be able to address that with the new facility, which is open and now up and running and, and a really yes. vital part of our community. So yes. um, I, I think that concern may have been addressed. Well, great. That's wonderful. I, I think with a town
7: full of uh, young women, uh, IU students and things like that who could possibly become homeless, that that is a really good... Seem um, to have
0: a shelter for women that don't, don't have children. Mm-hmm. Now, this would, of course, still be focusing on women who have been victims of domestic violence. So yeah. as far as single women who have not been involved in, in those sorts of issues, now that you got me on. I'm not sure. Sh- I don't know. Um, uh, do you guys know um, if they have
7: shelter for women, just women alone that that may become homeless?
2: Okay. Martha's house and the uh, two church facilities both accept uh, single women, okay. but they're, they're not uh, exclusively
3: for women, um, like like Middleway houses. But um, but there are there are places for women to go.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. okay. great. Okay. Thanks for Thank your you. call, Patty. And, and uh, Middleway House, Laura called in from Middleway and said that um, it, my description of, of those uh, apartments are was accurate. So, oh, yeah. Okay.
1: there, are, yeah, six apartments for women without children.
0: Okay, great, wonderful. I'm glad to
1: hear that. All right, thanks, thanks Thanks. a lot, Patty. Thanks for the call. And let's go quickly to Dennis. We've got about four minutes to go in the program, Dennis.
8: Well, some of my questions were asked, but um, you know, after listening to to several people, I wonder, like, if we ever really get the homeless people involved in their homelessness. I mean, you know, like Harmony School, the kids have a say in in their governance. So, I mean. Is it not possible to have, you know, some people like on a weekly basis or something like that to get together and and to to share their condition with, with other people, to become a participant instead of being homeless, to be actually integrated into a community of homeless people that talks about their situation?
1: Matthew, do you want to respond to that?
6: Um, I mean, it, it, it certainly sounds like a like a great idea, um, you know. And you know, my my hope for for all these kinds of problems is to try and you know draw together as many people as possible into a conversation about what's going on, what what solutions are available, and and how an ever wider circle of of people can be involved in in making decisions and and being connected to these kinds of issues. So I certainly think that that bringing some folks together. Um, in that fashion, um, obviously, uh, individuals who are homeless and are experiencing that situation have, have an enormous amount to, to offer in, uh, to that discussion. Um, my hope would be to go beyond that again and, and try and get other members of the community as well, those who, have, who currently have no connection um, to homelessness, and try, and try and get them involved as well, because I think those kind of folks are going to help be sort of conduits of information to the broader community that can, that, you know, they can talk to other people who are also not currently connected with the situation and, and help them better understand what's going on and, um, and we'll, you know, get them involved
8: in, in the idea that this is a problem that needs attention. To, to me, that's, like, what needs to be fixed. But what I'm saying is to have the problem itself speak out, not from a, a point of those looking at it, Do you see what I'm saying? Like the energy of the problem itself.
1: Yeah, Forrest, in 30 seconds, do you have any, any way to do that at Shalom?
3: I, th- I think absolutely i think it's something that uh could be addressed more fully than we have but it also i think it's it's an everyday part of what of what we do and so many agencies do is is we are actively connected with our guests our clients and uh actively seek out their interests and uh, their ideas their thoughts um so that that already is a significant part of what we do and we could be more ga- organized but
1: all right, we're going to have to uh, call a halt to the program. It's been a very lively second half hour, in particular. Forrest Gilmore, Jim Riley, Matthew Bagetta, Lori Demick. Thank you all for being here. Thanks for all the great questions today from our audience. From Mary Catherine Carmichael, um, producer Rachel, Rachel Lyon, and engineer Mike Bashkash on Bob Zoltsberg. Thanks for listening. Thank you very much. Residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.